Thank you, Priscilla. Hey, good morning, El Paso Bible Church. Welcome to Communion Sunday. Hope all of you got a, uh, a bulletin. And I hope all of you have not been living under a rock and know that this is VBS week. This is a big week for our church. We get a lot of visitors from the neighborhoods and families who will, uh, who will visit us at the end of the week when we have the, uh, the get-together. So it's a, it's a great outreach week for us. All righty. Uh, in your bulletin, it identifies the, uh, the activities of the church. The only, only thing I think that's really going on is, is the youth group uh, this, tonight. They'll meet at 6 o'clock here. But other than that, all the other activities are on hold for the summer, and we're focused on VBS this week. If you want to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25, we're going to read those in the New King James, or they'll be up there also in the New King James. And we'll pray together, sing together, have the word preached to us, and uh, we'll have communion together. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23, 24, and 25 tells us, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. God bless the reading of his word. Why don't you bow your heads with me now? We'll prepare to uh, worship together. Lord God, we uh, are here to worship. We are here to hear your word preached to us, to build our faith, to do just as this verse has told us, to encourage one another unto, unto good works. Lord, we pray for those who are watching with us online, uh, maybe for a reason that's illness or traveling. We pray for their healing or safety. We also pray for healing and safety of those who can't be with us or, and uh, maybe have other issues that uh, they're not, a, not able to assemble together with us as we're called together to do in this verse. Father, we pray for the uh, uh, people who are traveling. I know uh, a family is uh, overseas. Pray for their safety. Pray also, Lord, that uh, you'd bless our, our gathering together here today. That uh, everything that we do today, our hearts would be open only for the reason of bringing glory to Jesus' name. We do this in his name. Amen. Amen. Now would you stand with us for a time of worship? Trust Him when my strength 
just one word You calm the storm that surrounds me Just one word The darkness has to retreat Just one touch I feel the presence of heaven Just one touch My eyes were open to see My heart can't help but believe There's nothing that a God can't do There's not a mountain that He can move Oh praise a name that makes a way there's nothing that a God can do. Just one word, you hear what's broken inside me. Just one word, and you revive every dream. Just one touch, I feel the power of it.
You may be seated. Well, good morning. Uh, children, remember, we just have adventurers today, right? Steve, did I get that right? So if you're in the adventurers children's church class, you can go ahead and go. And uh, if you're not, you're going to be in, in big church with us, as is our custom. It shouldn't be too much of a surprise. We've been doing that for a long time. Uh, this morning, I'd like to begin our time in prayer. I don't do that as if it's an incantation over my sermon, right? Um, we don't uh, have to follow certain rules and roles like that, but today I, I feel like we ought to uh, because, there, you know, there's a lot of people that are traveling, a lot of people are out of town, um, and we can forget about certain things that are ongoing, uh, which is people still get sick, people still seek treatment for conditions, even in the summer when everybody's on vacation and things like that. And, and this morning we did have another uh, health concern brought up. Uh, Tammy and Kevin's grandson, Hunter, uh, had a, a situation where he wasn't able to get out of, out of bed this morning. So we need to pray uh, for that. Um, and so I hope that you will join with me as we do it. All right, we do that. Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, we do thank you for your grace to us. Uh, we thank you uh, for your power exhibited in your church by your spirit. We thank you uh, for the church and, and the privilege that you've given us to live and serve together. Uh, we ask uh, for wisdom and endurance for those who are seeking ongoing treatment. Father, we know that this week uh, several uh, are having some significant treatments uh, this week, Father. We pray that those would be positive results, that there would uh, be healing that is received through those procedures. Father, we do pray for Hunter also. Um, very little information that we have, but we know that uh, you love him, uh, Father, and we, we ask for your comfort for his parents and for guidance and wisdom and knowledge about what's going on and that he would be restored to health uh, from this situation that he's, he's in this morning. Father, I do pray that you bless our time in your word today. I uh, pray that you bless uh, the way I communicate, the words that I do so, and those who are hearing them as well. Uh, Father, we thank you for that. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Uh, this morning we're in Second Thessalonians uh, chapter 2. Still, we're going to take it in small bites here. It is not a big book, uh, so that, it's okay, right? Uh, sometimes you can look ahead at a longer book, like if you hear somebody say, well, open your Bibles to chapter 1 of Ezekiel. Right? Everyone goes, <gasps> chapter, are you going to go verse by verse through Ezekiel? We're not doing that today. But there's only three chapters in Second Thessalonians. And it, it's important. There are things there that aren't elsewhere in Scripture. So we're going to do that. But you remember that the main point of this section uh, is that the Thessalonican church, the Thessalonians would have the proper perspective when they looked out from their church, from their existence in the world, and understand something, that the day of the Lord has not come, right? That they can look at the mess that the world has made of itself, and they can see things that are not right. They can see people of God suffering. They can see other people suffering seemingly without cause. They can see these things, 
and understand it rightly, right? That the that presents an opportunity that God in His justice and His discernment and His wisdom has decided that this is the opportunity that He wants to grant the church in, in His perfect wisdom. Uh, and one of the evidences for that that allows us to alter our perspective because most people don't have the right perspective. I know because they, they show up and they hand me books and these are what I call the chicken little books right? That the world is coming, crashing on the sky is falling, that the world is ending. The world is, the world is ending, but we know how, right? We do know how. And Paul has given us an understanding. He says that the apostasia has not taken place yet, right? This is something, the physical departure, right? That's, we spent a long time on apostasia. If you weren't here for that, you ought to maybe listen to that message when we get done uh, this morning. But that is, I think, clearly a reference to the rapture of the church. When we go to meet him in the air, like we talked about in 1 Thessalonians 4. When believers in Jesus Christ who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the church, uh, bodies on this planet currently, those who have died and those who are alive will meet him in the air and be with him forever. Those who have endured in the Lord, who have loved the Lord, who have lived their lives, loving others the way He has instructed us to do, will be with Him forever. So, is the first evidence, right? You know that the day of the Lord has not come to the earth because you're still on the earth, right? And we're not going to play those weird Gnostic philosophical games that you're here but you're not here. You know you're here, right? You know you're on the earth? Pinch yourself real quick. Okay, so we're not going to go there. We don't need to go there. I know you're on the earth. You know I'm on the earth. We're all here. And then he, he goes on further. He says, and what else will happen before all, so that you know how this chronology is going to take place is that the, the man of lawlessness, the man of rebellion will come, and he will seat himself in the temple. He will profane the temple. He will blaspheme against God. He will display himself as God. And that wasn't taking place, right? Temple worship was largely going on the way it cyclically went on all during the second temple period. But he's definitely not doing that today, right? We, what's the primary evidence that he's not doing that today? This is easy. You all know there's no temple, right, on the temple map. This, this is easy. You should know this, right? There are people and an odd, oddly high percentage of them are roaming around in New Mexico, no offense, New Mexicans, <laughs> that claim to be Jesus. I'm not kidding you. It pops up on the news all the time. There, there's some dude in an RV out in the desert in New Mexico saying, I'm Jesus. But let me tell you something. Jesus uh, doesn't live in a camper, <laughs> and he's not in New Mexico. And he's, this guy may claim to be Jesus, but he's not displaying himself as God, at least not in the temple, right? Because New Mexico, as much as the land is enchanting, <laughs> isn't where Jesus is going to come back. And it is not where the temple has ever been or ever will be. For a couple thousand years, people have been doing that. But there's no temple now in which to do it. So seriously, he, that can't happen. Objectively, literally, we can observe that the day has yet not come. And remember what Paul has commended them for. He said, you, you're, you're to be commended. We, give, we ought to give thanks. It's worthy for us to give thanks for you because of the way in which you've endured affliction and suffering in your life and persecution. 
And the key to that is understanding how all of those things are supposed to be opportunities to receive God's blessings in the kingdom that is to come and be worthy of the reward in that kingdom that is to come. Remember, this is, a, this is an early letter. This is letter number three that Paul wrote uh, in his ministry. And so it's very early. And at this early stage in Paul's life, there was an expectation that these events would take place in their lifetime. We, we can kind of see that. Near the end of Paul's life, he started to understand that that wasn't necessarily going to take place, but he wasn't able to say, no, it's not going to happen in your lifetime, because otherwise he'd say, you know what, the day hasn't come because y'all are going to be dead and buried for 2,000 years plus, right? That, that would have been a chief evidence, right? You're still alive. You didn't do that here. He says there's a chronology of events that are going to take place, and these haven't happened yet. But it's an early letter, and they, but they expected the rapture in their lifetimes, which is the definition of imminency. We talked about that. It could happen at any time. Nothing else needs to take place in order to expect that. And so we can live with the same expectation, and I do. I do live with that expectation every moment. But Paul gives evidence rather than just saying, sit tight, it's going to be a long time. Just love the Lord and love people. And be faithful until you die because you're going to die way before that happens. doesn't say that. But right in the middle of the evidences, Paul interjects something. He gives us two. He says the, the physical departure, the rapture needs to take place. The man of rebellion, of lawlessness, is going to seat himself in the temple. And then he says this, do you not remember? Do you not remember? While I was still with you, I was telling you these things. So the way he says that is, it, it's what I understand to be what's called an iterative imperfect, meaning that I've been telling you over and over and over and over. I was telling you those things repeatedly while I was with you. Don't you remember those things? You have an opportunity to say that to your children occasionally, parents. Yeah? I, I, I say it a good bit to the last one. No, no, I do. He, he's right here. No, he's, I'm outing him here. No, no, this is why. Because in his whole lifetime, see, the twins, we didn't have traditions when the twins were born. That was like a, almost like a landmine. You know? It was an unavoidable situation. We had to deal with whatever came, right? But by child number six, we have traditions, patterns, structure, expectations, right? So occasionally, those get violated. And we're like, when has that ever been okay in your whole lifetime? Don't you remember what the structure, the tradition, the pattern is? But he doesn't because it was unstated. So he needs to be admonished. You observed this. We told you this. We taught you this. Now it's on you. You need to remember. You need to remember. And we have a good number of children in here. We have the the big kids today, so, because it's Communion Sunday. Children, I want to remind you right now, this is going to be hard because you're not old yet. You're not even half old yet. You're not even a tenth old yet. It is important that you remember and recall the things that you learn 
when you're children, that you repeat them to yourselves, that you remind yourself of them. And you will have to trust me when I say that. It is important that you commit to remembering the things that you learn in this room and in children's church and in VBS and youth group. Yeah, because y'all are still children in youth group. Right, guys? Who's in youth group here? They're not going to out themselves. Even number six Myers here is in youth group. It's important. And I will not be able to tell you specifically how it will pull you out of a pit in your life, but it has pulled me out of pits in my life. Remembering the stories and the truths that my parents taught me, sometimes from a little picture Bible. It's important. The things that my, the conversations that my parents had with their friends, and they had no idea that I was listening to about the struggles that they were going through and the promises that they were applying from Scripture ring loudly over my chronic tinnitus <laughs> in my ears. Because it gives me the capacity to remember them. And when you remember something like that, don't squash it. Remember. Remember the truths of the gospel. That being in Christ is a permanent thing. That there is nothing that can separate you from the truth that Jesus Christ has given you life in him. Nothing. And that the Holy Spirit is permanently indwelling you. And that God loves you among the most basic things that people forget. This isn't one of those iterative imperfects. Paul, can you imagine? Paul was here in Thessalonica for a relatively short time. I mean, this isn't Ephesus. He wasn't there for almost three years teaching them daily. He was there just for a short time, and already he could say to them, I was talking to you guys about the rapture and the Antichrist over and over and over and over and over. How many of y'all as a young believer in the first 12 months of your walk with Christ understood the rapture and the Antichrist. We might be falling down a little bit. Remember, because that was the pattern that they were following. First Thessalonians tells us that the, one of the reasons they were commended in life was because they followed the pattern that was set by Christ and Paul and Silas and Timothy, meaning that as they were discipling others, they were replicating this thing. At the same time as they were replicating the pattern, some were forgetting and Paul had to say, didn't I tell you about this stuff? Why are you getting so upset by some random dude sending you some random letter that tells you something random that is against what I told you to? You need to remember these things and understand that what he is saying, whatever this person over here is writing to you or preaching to you or teaching to you, is mutually exclusive to what I told you. They can't both be right, right? Yes? See, that's popular today, right? People think that they've settled on arguments by saying, well, we're both right. Makes me angry. It is the failure to apply your noodle, folks, in most cases. Most of the time, you can't both be right. If you're talking about pizza toppings or ice cream flavors, you can both be right. Or at least it doesn't matter if you're both wrong. I don't care if you like nasty stuff on your pizza, like pineapple and fish. 
it doesn't affect my worldview at all. I don't care if you like nasty ice cream. And they make nasty ice cream these days. I never thought I could say something like that, nasty and ice cream in the same sentence. But I don't care. But you understand that you, you said that the, that the day hasn't come or the day has come. Those are mutually exclusive. We're either in the tribulation or we're not. But a lot of people are able to look at the world today, and, and you wouldn't believe me if I told you the percentages, of people that can look at the world as it is today and say, this is the kingdom of Christ. This, this right now. Is the millennial kingdom. This is Christ ruling with a rod of iron spiritually with his spiritual rear end in the spirit throne of David in the spiritual Jerusalem somehow. We went over that, right? That, that, isn't, that doesn't work. It can't be that way. And that's why he's saying to them, remember, you can't be both. The kingdom is either real or it's allegorical, spiritualized, almost imaginary. This is the way most people treat it. The day has not come. You need to remember those things. Even young believers are able to grasp this, right? And this is important, right? Because in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, I want you to comfort each other with the truth of the rapture. One of the most important functions of understanding these doctrines early on in your Christian life is so that you don't go absolutely nuts looking at the way the world is working around you and that you're able within the local church to comfort people by saying this, right, the things that are here. This is an opportunity. This is not suffering that is empty and vain. I wish somebody had told me this more as a child than as a young adult. You need to view the way that we suffer in this life as believers and the way that we anticipate suffering as an opportunity to be honored by Jesus. And comfort each other with that reality. To be able to endure instead of to run, right? James tells us to let endurance have its perfect result. It's a matter of you and I permitting it to have its effect in our lives to some degree. We can run. You know people that run from opportunity habitually, right? I know people that who's, who have business ideas, right? And they, they have a little bit of success and they run. I can't handle that kind of success. I can't handle that kind of opportunity. I can't handle it. I don't have the gifts. I don't have what I need. I don't have the skills. I don't have that. I don't have what I need to soak up all the opportunity in front of me. Don't ever say that about the things that Jesus has for you in your life. Jesus has provided for you to engage that opportunity when it comes upon you. And it's important that we teach our children that, by the way. So that when they recall and remember those things that are important for them to remember, that's what they remember. They remember your example. That when affliction came upon us, that you didn't run. You didn't do everything you could to sedate yourself spiritually. 
or emotionally against those opportunities. Don't you remember the most important things? Somebody once said, and I found out later it wasn't absolute, but that one of his church members asked Martin Luther once, why do you preach justification by grace through faith alone every single Sunday? You know what he said? Because every week you guys forget it. That's true sometimes. What are your children going to remember about how they get to go to heaven when they die? How they're in Christ? Repeat it to them so they can remember it. Another thing, the next thing that we're looking for, prophetically speaking, eschatologically speaking, that's a big long word that says in the future pertaining to last things, is to be with Jesus forever. Forever. Whether you're alive or Pastor Josh has put your ashes in the ground, which I've done a lot of, a lot more than many people for three years, that was my main ministry, was a funeral officiant for hire. Be surprised how many people need a hired gun to bury them. Hired gun. I didn't even carry a gun. It wasn't even a hired gun. You know. I don't think that I could have done that without being to proclaim this truth that the next thing that we'll see together will be Jesus. The next event will be with him. But that was an interjection, an important one. Do you not remember? And he says to them, in the midst of recalling them to mind things that they should remember, he says, and you know, you know what restrains him now, the man of rebellion, the man of lawlessness. You know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. Something they already knew, something that, they, that Paul had connected the dots for them already, that they could remember, that Paul had taught them already. And he goes on, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. It's important that you understand the two references here to the restraint. It's a, it's a what and a who, a what and a he specifically. But Paul doesn't tell us exactly what or, he, or who he is here. He says, you know that already. You know that. They could observe this reality. They could observe the mystery of rebellion the mystery of lawlessness, and that may confuse you, right? I don't know, like you may be thinking of the Scooby-Doo mysteries, right? We don't know what's going on. That's not what Scripture uses as a mystery. When Scripture tells you this is the mystery of, of such and such, it's telling you that it's no longer secret. It was concealed, but now it's revealed because when it was concealed, you didn't even know what it was. 
And so when Paul says you can observe this, the mystery of rebellion, he says you can observe it because it's presently at work. It's presently doing what it does, the mystery of lawlessness, the mystery of rebellion. It was concealed, but now it's revealed, and now it's known. So this is not something that was working throughout history. It was something that is true, essentially, of the church age forward in ways that wasn't observable before. It's not something that was readily observable since, say, you know, Genesis 3, necessarily, but something that could be seen in ways by the church that was not available previously. And Paul says this about the man. The man himself, the man of lawlessness, is now restrained. This is not a positive, by the way. You, you, You admire people who show restraint right? That's something they do themselves. So they're self-controlled is what we call that in Scripture. But he is under restraint. He is being opposed. He desires to do something, right? But is being restrained from it. One of my sons when he was young, he's not here today so I can use him. That's a great part about them moving out, you know? All sorts of sermon illustrations open up. Kid had an iron butt. Dad, you know what I mean? You could spank him till the cows come home. No humility. No regrets. Nothing. And I could spank him till the cows come home, but I don't like to do things that don't have results. Right? What we ultimately found was that the one thing he could not stand was to be held completely still. He wanted to jitter all the time. And so when we needed to discipline him, I would simply hold him still. You could spank him till dark and he would never shed a tear. That's the kind of restraint we're talking about. Activities completely and totally desire to do something, but being restrained from it. He's under restraint by a what? By an entity, right? But what has been revealed, not the guy, he hasn't been revealed. What has been revealed is this mystery of lawlessness, the mystery of the rebellion. You can observe because you, have you, when I was a kid, like, we would, they would show us these scary movies because I went to that kind of Baptist church, man. They would scare, try to scare us to Jesus. Man, they showed us some crazy stuff, crazy stuff back then. Uh, I, don't think that I, I don't think it was really productive. I mean, it was pretty accurate when you get to Revelation, right? That's pretty scary stuff there. They would try to, to scare us. But it was hard sometimes to imagine, those of us who have been on the world a a longer time than others, right? When you were younger in the Lord and you were raised in a church, even a a premillennial, pre-tribulational, dispensational church that knew that this was a futurist prophecy, that you were supposed to look forward to it, would go, man, how is it possible? How is that even possible? How is a a one-world government? 
How could that even be, how could that even take place? I remember thinking that even as a child, and I'm not but half as old as some of y'all. I'm not trying to out anybody. I'm not pointing any fingers, but I mean, no, Steve, no, come on. I didn't even look at you. I didn't even look at you. Quit. You know, you're an elder, man. You should, you should not be lying like this now. Oh, I'm just playing. I remember thinking that. How in the world can the, I mean, what was happening, what was happening in my lifetime? Balkanization, Right? Countries that had been forcibly unified were splitting apart into pieces. That's like the opposite, right, of what Scripture predicts is going to happen in the future. But Paul says you can observe the mystery of law. It's been revealed. It was concealed. Now it's revealed. You can observe that. We can look and see in this age, in this dispensation, how the man of rebellion, the man of lawlessness can arise and how he can deceive, and how he can put himself, set himself up in a temple and display himself as God and deceive people. We can see how that can happen, how he can lie and manipulate world events. I used to wonder how that was possible. But I think we can see it in ways that perhaps more clear than what we used to. You think so? I think you can see that. Conditioning people to think that government legitimately should have far more authority in your life than it does. Yeah? Back when I was a kid, and my, my grandfather was not a nice man, but he was a true American hero. He already thought the communists were in charge in the United States. I can't imagine what he'd be thinking now. But people, not just that gov- governments have always oppressed people, yes? If a government lasts long enough, it always becomes oppressive. Because it's run by humans, right? That's what happens. Humans do that to each other. They see opportunity and they do that. People are shocked when I say stuff like that. People are shocked when I say that about honeybees. You know, one of the things that you always run across when you do a honeybee removal, you have robbers. You know what robbers are? Robbers are bees from all over the world, all over the world around that area, you know, within a mile. And as soon as you cut open the colony, they smell that that colony is in distress. And all of a sudden, thousands of them descend on the cutout opening. You know why they're there? Are they there to drive me off? Are they there to help the other bees? Are they there to defend their compatriots and their brethren from the bee remover guy? No. They're there to break in and steal. Thousands of them, as soon as you cut that open. Humans aren't radically different actually. Especially when they get into a government position. All governments do this, but it seems to be something of an agenda. 
Conditioning people to receive whatever the government mandates with no questions. And I'm not just talking about a vaccination. Well, that, could, that could apply. How about money? How about money? How many Biden bucks were floating around? You all know, what is it like, 70% of all United States dollars floating around were printed in the last two or three years? Did they ask you if you wanted that? They didn't, they didn't ask me, but I'm kind of used to that. Nobody, nobody asked me. They know I'm an extremist. Nobody asked me anything. That's okay. I tell you anyway. Nobody asked you if you wanted the money. It just showed up in your account, right? They just told you you were going to take it. Is anything free? No. Try telling that to somebody today. Not in this room. We're kind of all extremists or you wouldn't be here, right? Right? When they send us all to prison, they're going to have to put us in separate spots because we're troublemakers. That's okay. I like it. But they didn't ask. But you go out on the street and you say, well, what were we supposed to do? What were we supposed to do? Not that. Everyone sitting here could have told you what was going to happen if you started printing out trillions of dollars. We were already on a fiat currency, weren't we? But the fact that you can't even explain that to somebody anymore, that was part of an agenda, folks. Anybody in charge in the federal government of making that decision knew exactly what was going to happen, and they'll lie about it. You can't print that much money without this effect. The only thing that's surprising is that it's actually not far worse than it is right now. That's coming. And stuff happens, right? The world is bad. The world is rough. It's run by dummies. It really is. Bad things happen in the world. We went over that. The world sucks. We did that a week or two ago, right? The world sucks. It's, it's run by people that are evil, not just dumb. They're dumb and evil, which is like the worst of all worlds. But the fact that you can't even identify that as a negative reality anymore is insanity. That is a deception. I never thought that possible. Like, I believed it to be true, because that's what the Bible said, but I was like, boy, things are going to have to change pretty wildly. I don't expect to see that in my lifetime. Ding. Here it is. In the United States. We're not talking about North Korea. Uh, We're not talking about Western Europe, right? France. I'm I'm a good bit French, so I can say this. French people get deceived quite a lot in the modern era, right? The mystery of lawlessness. How can this take place? The only reason that the man of rebellion isn't here is because he is under restraint, right? The world is conditioned already. You're supposed to be able to look at it and go, oh my goodness, thank you, Jesus, that you have him under restraint. 
because otherwise this thing is going to finish circling the bowl really fast. But he is under restraint. You can observe the mystery of rebellion, the mystery of lawlessness. You can see how it would happen. You can observe that, and they could observe it back then if they paid attention. I mean, it went so far as people in the federal government telling people that you shouldn't be able to buy and sell things without a little card in your pocket. That sound familiar? Y'all didn't remember that? It was right about the time Dr. Fauci recommended that you put goggles on in addition to your mask. And he did say that. Not that he ever wore them. You shouldn't be able to buy and sell. And in fact, some states you couldn't buy and sell. You couldn't enter any store with cash and buy anything with legal tender currency without the little card in your pocket. It can happen. The mystery of lawlessness is revealed. It is purposeful. And if people can't see it, you know, they say that if you say orange is slow enough, it sounds like gullible. Nobody tried it. Y'all have heard that one before, haven't you? Okay. Y'all are gullible. Y'all are extremists like me. That's okay. Maybe, maybe just on my side of the spectrum. I won't insult you by saying you're all the way over where Pastor Josh is. That's okay. These are things we can see. We can see the world. We can see the mystery of lawlessness. We can see how things are being prepared, how that's being revealed without making the foolish mistake of saying this is it, that this is the day. That's what Paul is cautioning them against. He said, you're right. The mystery of lawlessness, the way humans are, the way all of this is coming together, you can observe that. You can see that mystery. It's been revealed. You can see how it could happen. But don't make the mistake of then trying to go identify the Antichrist now, don't do that. He's not been revealed. And he won't be revealed until he's no longer restrained by the who, by the what and the who that is restraining him. That's not going to happen. I won't even go so far as to say that human being isn't walking on the face of the planet, but he has not been revealed. Just because you didn't like what somebody, who somebody else voted for, right? Doesn't mean that's the Antichrist. Both sides. John tells us that in, in 1 John. He talks about the spirit of the Antichrist, and many little Antichrists have gone out already. He's not going to be identifiable. Although we can see how things are being prepared, how humanity will come to be able to accept those deceptions. But it's a he and a who. Well, it's a he, a who, and a what, right? It's a person as well as an entity. And he, Paul indicated that he, they knew the what and the who. They knew what the restrainer was and who he was. But he doesn't re-identify him here. 
And that has caused no end of conversations, discussions about who and what it is. Uh, the, the preterists, you know what a preterist is? Somebody who said that there's really nothing left in the future for prophecy. I don't know how you get there from here, but that's, there are people, real life people, who really believe that. They say essentially that it was the Roman Empire is the restrainer or something like that. That it was the human government that was restraining happening. I defy you to find one place where the Bible ascribes that ability to the Roman Empire <laughs> instead of creating restraining lawlessness. I'm not sure that that is the case. I'm sure it's not the case. Doesn't fit a what and a he very well. Daniel doesn't seem to see the empire that way that we identify as being Rome. Uh, some people have suggested Michael the archangel. All right, Michael has a role confronting the angelic realm, but when it comes to directly confronting Satan, Jude tells us that he did not rebuke Satan, but said instead, the Lord rebuke you. So he doesn't seem to have that power to directly confront Satan's plans like that. Uh, the standard answer was the Holy Spirit in the churches that I grew up in. And I think the Holy Spirit has a role here. But I don't think he's both a, he's a he, right? Don't, don't refer to the Holy Spirit as it. The Bible doesn't do that. Or a what. It's not the force, right? It's not Star Wars. Y'all do know Star Wars isn't real, right? And the Holy Spirit is not the force. The Holy Spirit is a he. He's a person. And he indwells each of you. And he has a role in this. But there's both a he and a what, right? And uh, people would argue with me about this, I'm sure. But I'm just going to, I don't have all the time to engage with everybody's opinion about what this is or who this is. So I'm just going to tell you what I think. I think that the restrainer is, in fact, Christ. That's the he. And he does that through the church in the world. Does that make sense? The he and the what? And who are you? You're the church. You are believers in Jesus Christ who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit. So, yes, there's Jesus Christ, there's the church, there's the Holy Spirit. It's a he and a what. And I take that to be the church. Jesus Christ working through it. Paul tells us, right, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, and only he who now restrains will do so until, my, my NSV says, until he is taken out of the way. That's a passive. The one area where Greek, I wish that they had a separate section, was that the, the form for the middle voice and the passive voice are the same. In other words, it could be that he is taken out of the way, or it could be a reflexive reference, until he takes himself out of the way. Right? Some languages have a lot more reflexive elements to them. Spanish is one. You move yourself. You marry yourself off kind of thing. Right? Reflexive uses. English is not as clear. What Paul is saying, I think, in this context is that while the church is here, this is under restraint. That's in the context, right? We're waiting for the physical departure of the apostasia of the church, the removal of us from the earth, and that is the removal of the restrainer's work. 
And it is at that time that the man of rebellion will be revealed. That helps, doesn't it? To know that it is entirely up to Jesus and not a ballot box. It is entirely up to Jesus and not your opinion or the next John Hagee semi-novel that pops out. You all know who John Hagee is? The Blood Moon guy, the Blood Moon book guy. I don't usually call people nutters from the pulpit, but he's a nutter. Don't read his books. It's totally under Christ's control. He is totally sovereign over this. And if you can trust him to, <laughs> to, to grant you life, to live with him forever, you can trust him in this. That when it is his timing, when it is in his discernment, and his wisdom, his declaration, that he will decide when this takes place. And then he will move that restraint out of the way under his complete and total control and bring his plan about in the world. And then the day will come, but it is not right now. Paul tells us that we're supposed to remember something else. We talked a lot about remembering things today. We're supposed to remember the sacrifice that Christ made He tells us that we are to take the bread and take the cup as often as we do it in remembrance of him. But that when we do that, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And it's placed before us once a month, sometimes more than once a month at El Paso Bible Church, that we are waiting to be forever with the Lord. Very appropriate for today's topic, that we proclaim his death until he comes for us. So I'm going to spend a moment and, uh, in prayer myself. I'm going to ask that you take that opportunity to do that also. And then I'll ask the men to come forward and we'll remember and proclaim together. All right? Men, if you would, come forward.
sins away slain for us and we remember the promise made that all who come in faith find forgiveness at the cross so we share in this bread of life and we dream sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of peace around the table of the King. The body of our Savior Jesus Christ torn for receive from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Can you stand with us? We'll dismiss with the last verse.